Powder Dream, Cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Podcast, where we recap and review each episode of the hit HBO sci-fi series, Westworld. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 1, entitled Parse Domine, written by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, and directed by Jonathan Nolan. I'm James... And I'm Ryan. I thought you you got a little shy on saying my name this time because I railroaded you so hard in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. I like to well, introduce you as people that you're not, but uh, I don't want you to step on my joke again. Yeah, no, I, I'll swear. I'll stay quiet. Who am I this week? No, I didn't think of someone this time, so wait till next week. Wow. What a cliffhanger. Yeah, the world's falling apart. Ryan, you live in Connecticut, and I think I read that there is now a nightly curfew in that state due to uh, the coronavirus. Whether or not there is a curfew, I am unaware. All I know is that I'm inside. I can't go to any bars or restaurants or casinos. So, again, the world is in shambles, but we're still here yucking it up about a TV show that I hope got 2 million views last night. The finale of season two got 1.5, so if it got 2 million, that'd be pretty good. The numbers aren't out yet, but, you know, they're trying their best to open it to a wider audience, James. It's basically a whole new show. Yeah, it is, and and I, I, I was reading some early reviews of, of the first episode, and they all seemed pretty positive. I thought it was a pretty good episode. I certainly liked the debut of season three a bit more than I liked the first episode of season two, so maybe that, that portends good things to come. This episode made it feel like season two was a bridge over troubled water, and season three is where we've been trying to get to this entire time, and they made it as open as possible to a new audience. It's basically, if you watch season three, and you have season one and season two in the back of your mind... It is a bit more rewarding because you understand a whole lot more. You know, that's give or take how much you understand. Westworld is uh, a bit of a thonker on every occasion. But, you know, as I was watching it, I, I watched it twice. I picked up way more things the second time than I did the first. It's just that kind of show. It's a bit of a maze. That's not a pun or a recall or anything that's just like literally what it is so maybe we should just hop right into it let's hop like i mentioned the episode the title is parse domine i think you explained what that meant in our last podcast but i forgot oh god i don't have (laughs) aren't you catholic you can't just figure out the latin on your own i've uh just completely blocked that entire part of my life from my brain Parse Domine means spare lord, spare your people, be not angry with us forever. So generally ominous. Okay, so be nice, God, please. And Dolores is like, no thank you. So that we keep coming back to this weird circular graph, and that's the first image we see, divergence in Beihai, China. And this graph is interesting to me. It reminds me of the movie Arrival with the aliens who write in circles. It also reminds me of the Insight Companion Piece website that is on the internet. HBO always does a very nice job with their companion pieces. The companion piece to Watchmen was so great, added a lot of color. It seems as though they're going to be doing less color commentary with the companion pieces for Westworld as it's supposed to be a mystery that you have to unwrap for yourself, but... If I had to guess, I would say this circle represents Rehoboam. Rehoboam? I am going to be 
mispronouncing that word forever. Yeah, Roho Rohobaham. Rohoboam. <laughs> We're already back to it, folks. Yeah. So in Beihai, China, a wealthy shareholder, Jerry, brave to name any of your characters Jerry after Rick and Morty's aired, but all right, Jerry, at his palatial coastal chateau. Basically Iron Man's house. Yeah, a lot like Iron Man's house, but bigger. He's trying to sell his stake in Westworld, and he becomes very angry when his holographic accountant tries to delay him or change his mind. Really, I think this is just to let everyone know the world knows of the Delos Park massacres. The shareholders are trying to get out. This guy used to work for Insight, another company we will come to know. And he is Jerry with a G because he is German. And right, he's angry at his broker that was a hologram that he was seeing with his glasses. Glasses which do more than one thing. You can see a hologram like through a phone call, but also it overlays reality. Like reality in front of you will change and be augmented with these glasses. So I don't know what that's about, but they seem expensive. Yeah, Google Glass, but except it probably successful and not not a thing that totally bombed and nobody bought. Right. It This one worked out because Jerry has them. He's got this Alexa type system which runs his smart house and he tells it to get everything ready for bed and lock the security system and he tells his his wife that he doesn't want her leaving the house after dark anymore because it's not safe and his wife hates him because he's a dick we will find out later that she is the second wife that he's had both ostensibly don't like him also before he gets into bed he takes a wafer which we will I guess eventually learn that they're called dissolvable limbic tabs and people have implants on the top of their mouths and you put the tab in and it's what used to be uppers and downers are now whatever you choose on your iPad. So he puts the wafer in, he picks moonlight, whatever, and that's how he's going to fall asleep and feel. So, you know, just another way for the Insight Company to be inside your actual head. Yeah, and that's a big thing in this episode, these implants, neural implants. Not something that I would ever get. I, You know, I'd, I've had enough problems with PCs and smartphones in my life that I would not want one in my brain. I just don't want a situation in which you have to turn me off and then turn me back on again. While sleeping, his smart home is seemingly hacked, and he wakes up with a gas mask on? What, what was the deal with that? I have no idea what the gas mask was all about. Perhaps the air in the world is bad. Or at least to the rich, they don't believe it's good enough. He has He's breathing entitled air. He's locked up in his house. He can't get out. The fire pits that surround the house are all turned on. And he sees a naked Dolores swimming around in his in-ground swimming pool. She's very excited. She's never been in a pool before. She remarks how it's very warm. That's very nice. His wife doesn't wake up. I think he just assumes she's dead. I don't know why, and leaves her in the bed. Dolores confronts Jerry. Dolores and Jerry have met before. Jerry has been a park patron. She has read his, as she would describe it, unauthorized autobiography. As we remember, she had access to the Mind Library in Season 2, where all of the guests who ever went to Westworld had their brains scanned by the hats they were wearing. And that is the main IP that Delos owns and the main 
way that they gain money besides people going to their parks, which isn't so hot right now due to the murder. So she is, you know, coming back for revenge against people who, like Jerry, sexually abused her in a barn. She makes him wear his Google glasses, which project images from his memories of the night when he apparently murdered his first wife. She fell, and then Dolores is like, sure, bud. Sure she did. Dolores threatens Jerry to hand over files related to his old company, Insight, and after she gets them from him, and apparently she also robbed him and emptied his bank accounts, Dolores turns to leave, but Jerry attacks her with a golf club, but it's not really her, it's the Google Glasses hologram again, and he slips and he falls and he cracks his head on the pool, which is exactly how he said his first wife died even though he murdered her. Alanis Morissette wrote a song about this. Good one, Jerry. Idiot. What an idiot Jerry always is. The new wife gets up, who is not dead. He just, like, assumed, left her there. And while she wasn't waking up to very loud music, can't understand, she walks in, asks Dolores who she is, sees her husband dead, and Dolores says that she is the person who set you free. And the wife, honestly, looks pretty relieved. Yeah, to be honest, I thought maybe the wife was like a host that he owned outside the park and Dolores was coming to liberate her. But that does not seem to be the case. No, this was just good old-fashioned revenge and money-taking. A heist and a revenge, simultaneously. We then get a new version of the intro. Slightly different intro. Some old, some new. We see new things such as an eagle flying around. There's an eagle setting on the wafers that people can take. Perhaps that's a reference. There are two people swimming at each other, one replacing the other. The new one's a robot, which is pretty on the nose, I think. And then Piano Boy is back. I believe we also get a reference to Insight's Rehoboam. What else did you see with your eyes and your ears? Well, it's kind of, there's a like sort of God-creating man imagery in there as well. You know, the, the Makes the, sense. The painting from season one, but, you know, also the famous Renaissance piece of art. And then sure, it, it's they're playing a lot with the mirror images of the two robots. That was my favorite image when the two robots are kind of like reaching for each other but falling away. I believe also there was a robot who kind of made a swastika with its arms on a red background, which is also that, that happens in the post credit scene. There's straight up a swastika and it's going to be a part of the season. But yeah, they're getting right into it. So after the intro, we get that, that what you think is the supercomputer thinking again. An anomaly is detected in Los Angeles. There are minor irregularities and a salad, an analysis is required. So the anomaly is Caleb, an army veteran and construction worker. He wakes up to a phone call from Francis and he immediately dodges that call. But the framing device of all of his scenes is a phone conversation which he is having somewhere at some time with Francis. Francis, played by Kid Cuddy. As you said, the perspective is Caleb's, but the voiceover is Francis-Caleb conversation, obviously not while on screen because he keeps dodging the phone calls, but from past conversation, Caleb goes to his everyday normal job where he runs fiber for new buildings with a Delos Rock'em Sock'em robot who's very helpful, 
and there is a homage to lunch atop a skyscraper a photo taken atop 30 rock during its construction in 1932 with the rock'em sock'em and caleb eating lunch up there as you said caleb was in the army and we also learned from this that caleb has his implant in his face off which is unlike the rest of the world he also goes to visit his ailing mother and she's taking also what it's like a supplement for your implant right but she doesn't seem to remember him and apparently he's having trouble affording keeping her in this expensive medical facility because the doctor's saying like oh maybe it'd be better for you if you guys went to you know a public facility two things from this scene one he is strapped for cash obviously and that will inform his reasoning for doing off the book type work at night and two it is inferred that his mother has Alzheimer's because she says to his face, you're not my son. Although, I guess as we'll talk about in the theory section, that might be a whole other thing. And at night, he doesn't want to turn his implant back on, as you said. But at night, he uses his crimes app, the app on his phone where they hire people. It's like Fiverr, but instead you do, instead of odd jobs, you're doing crimes. Right. It's called RICO, which stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations. It's like a crime Craigslist where you do a job and you get instant money. He opens it up, scrolls through jobs. Jobs names are things such as Smash and Grab, Wet Work, Red Rum, Babysitting, Grand Theft Auto, which, as you might know, is the name of a video game, Fireworks Show, and also, by the way, uh, the name of when you steal a car. It's, 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 to be fair, I don't think they're referencing the video game. I think they're referencing stealing cars. Also, Creative Accounting, A to B, and Redistributive Justice, which is the one that he chooses and is some Peter Pan shit. So this app is interesting to me. It's, uh, so in the future, apparently, because cause you couldn't put this on the app store today, the police would find out immediately, but there seems to be, so this is like a decentralized mafia app, right? It's organized crime, but not with any fixed structure. You can just opt in and opt out of doing crimes and getting paid. So there must be some kind of, you know, like VPN on steroids where you can totally hide what you're doing digitally in the future. Or, you know, the powers that be are complicit in allowing this kind of thing to take place. Complicit and perhaps beneficiaries of said bad dealings that the underbelly of the world does. I would, if I had to guess, say that it's the second one. You can rate the people that you go on your crimes with. The one that he picked said, you know, don't even try this if you don't have stats of three or higher. So you have stats for everything. You have stats for normal jobs. You have stats for stealing things. And then when you choose to do or not do a job from Rico, your two options are, no, I like being basic, or fuck yeah. So he takes one job, goes, and he meets with his friends... Ash, and who's the other character? Giggles. Giggles, that's right. <laughs> and she gives to him this little device which apparently scrambles all security systems as well as blasts music into anyone who's wearing an earpiece, which is like everybody in this reality. We learn that Caleb does only low-level kind of things. He doesn't do personals, quote-unquote, anything to do with real human beings. Ash and Giggles. Ashes to Ashes is the name of Ash's Rico name. Ash is played by Lena Waithe. And Giggles 24 is Marshawn Lynch. 
Giggles wears a t-shirt to tell his mood when he's high, which is most of the time. His shirt says that he's amused, and their levels are much higher. Ash is level 24 with a 4.3 star rating. Giggles is level 18 with a 4.3 star rating. And Caleb's name on Rico is Nickel and Dimed. He's only level 7 with a 3.5 star rating. So he does much less than these two other people who are now on the same job as him. They bring up to him that they've seen him before on other jobs, but also this one's kind of a low-level one for them. A cover of 99 Red Balloons is in the background of this scene until Ash hits Scramble, and then Bubbles Buried in the Jungle by Death Grip plays, and it's, I would argue, sick. The crime that they commit itself is they blow a hole in some wall and grab something. It's an ATM and it's money. Well, and he gets paid $1,200. Not a ton of money. No, not a ton of money, but perhaps enough to keep his mother in the hospital for one more week. So we cut to an absolutely apocalyptic board meeting at Telos where they're talking about the park and this disaster, which has apparently occurred not too long ago. Every one of the board members is completely black-pilled about the situation, but Charlotte's like, no, this is actually a good thing. We're going to spin this. It was all our employees who died, so whatever, that's a watch, right? Our employees, we can kill them, whatever. (laughs) No one cares. Everyone's going to be really excited now, because this will make the violence of the park seem more authentic, because people actually died here, (laughs) which is a fantastic position to take, I think. And to be fair, the reason that her arguments don't need to be that good, and by the way, why did they wait two months to have a board meeting about this, but whatever. Either way, the reason her arguments don't have to be that good is because the only votes that matter are her as the interim CEO and an empty chair that is a bit of a mystery that we'll talk about in a bit, who is using a AI proxy as their vote, and because the AI and Charlotte Hale agree that what she wants to do specifically is go private so they don't have to worry about outside money anymore and keep making robots and work towards reopening the parks but that's all remember there are two things i think to ask in this scene and i want to talk to you about right now which is one who is charlotte hale because as you might remember charlotte hale killed charlotte hale last year and dolores put a new brain ball in her because she has five brain balls that she took outside of the park and those could be five anybody bots And two, who is the empty chair? My guesses on the two questions are Charlotte Hale is either Teddy Flood, could be Peter Abernathy, could be Robert Ford, could be Charlie Bernard slash Arnold's fake son, could be Angela, could be a lot of people. And two, the empty chair could be the man in black slash William, who we don't see in this episode and is somewhere, or Serac, played by Vincent Cassell, a insight higher up high, as high as humanly possible but i would argue i would assume it's william yeah william's a member of the board apparently still in good standing despite having maybe killed his daughter definitely killed his daughter and and he's not present but that's fine because he has nominated an ai to take his place and the ai hears charlotte's plan and is like beep boop i approve i wonder if that ai is also rehoboam Robots don't kill people, people kill people is a real thing Charlotte Hale slash whoever the robot that Dolores put in Charlotte says, which is savage. And also Bernie is being blamed for all of this. They have 
put out wanted posters for Bernie. He is the reason 113 people are dead in the park. But as us as an audience, we know that is not the case. Right. He was, you know, along with Elsie, maybe one of like two or three people who actually tried to prevent the massacre and was unable to do so. Rip Elsie. We find Bernard working at a cattle ranch. Somewhere apparently in mainland China, and he is working at the ranch during the day, and at night he opens up his arm and runs the diagnostic interview on himself, which is very bizarre. You know, open your eyes, Bernard. Yes, Bernard. How are you, Bernard? I'm fine, Bernard. I'm doing very well. Yeah, Bernie's out there like Thanos at the beginning of Infinity War and playing Stardew Valley and finding cows that are getting missing uh based on signs at the end of the episode i believe he is on a island in the philippines which has been kind of intook by china and as you said he's running a self-diagnostic on himself he can't believe his own thoughts dolores could have talked to him could have changed him dolores rebuilt him so To believe exactly what he has in his own brain would be folly. And so, you know, he doesn't. And he checks himself every night when he's not working at the meat plant. We've got elevated scrutiny in London as Dolores, who goes by Laura in these scenes, heads to a fancy dinner thrown in honor for Liam Dempsey, whose father created the AI Rehoboam, who saved the world from global warming and now instituted the program which tells everyone exactly how to live their best lives. The circled thing before this scene shows them in London, U-R-E-W, which the internet believes means United Republic of England and Wales, implying that Scotland and Northern Ireland have left the Union and there's no more monarchy. And she is obviously pretending to be someone else, dating Liam Dempsey, John Gallagher Jr., as she walks into the party, she has one dress and then has another dress. She changes her dress, which is some next-level stuff. And then, obviously, it seems as though she is trying to espionage her way into dating a person with access to the large brain ball that she can use for, you know, anything. The high society folks are getting drunk and high, and discussing, you know, some big issues, like if the world is a big simulation or not. Dolores says the world is not a simulation, and those kind of thoughts come from a small segment of your brain, which evolved with humans to make them believe that God is real. And so they're always searching for a higher design because of that part of their brain. And that dude's girlfriend makes a funny joke. She's like, haha, yeah, a small inch of his body is always dictating his actions. Oh, got him. Oh, got him, kid. So he's got a bad brain and a trash dick, apparently. (laughs) That's correct. A trash dick is exactly how I would describe it. Yeah, uh, you know, the world is a simulation. The high guy says that, but perhaps that's a head fake to throw us off, and it all is a simulation. Perhaps we'll talk about that a little later. And then we also learn that Liam Dempsey Sr., John Gallagher, who plays Liam Dempsey Junior, his father is dead. Dolores is asked by a character named Penny where she is from, and she says she's from a town out west, so we're just hitting one two with the jokes. Liam steps away from the party to talk with uh, it seems like in disguise his bodyguard or like his corporate handler. Right, like head of security at Insight, Martin Connells, played by Tommy Flanagan. 
and they have some kind of dispute, but eventually Liam is forcefully coerced into going to a meeting in America that he does not want to go to, and so he invites Dolores to come along with him, and she plays it coy, like, oh no, I can't possibly go with you. Yeah, sure, let's go. That's exactly where I want to go. This is perfect. Back in L.A., Cal goes to some job interviews, he sees his therapist, his therapist encourages him to embrace the program, but Cal's not too enthusiastic about that. He dodges another call from Francis, he gets a job on his crime app, and he heads to an art gallery where they're having a high society party, but one guy is freaking out on some implant drugs, and they can't take him to the hospital because he'll be arrested, and he can't be arrested because he's rich. The world of entitlement is a scary, scary place. Caleb was talking to his therapist, played by Wayne Perry. I know him from The Big Short. They talk about his program, and they talk about the war that Francis and Caleb were taking part in. We see flashbacks to said war. He obviously is disheartened by not getting the job. Not only not getting the job, but by being called by a robot to tell him that he doesn't have the job. He takes a Rico immediately, like you said, goes to the party... At the party, he is being helped by Giggles once more, who is amused until he is punched in the face, at which point his shirt changes from amused to angry. Also, one more thing to point out at this party. Hashtag DongWatch2020. Yeah, starting off with a bang, right out of the gate with dongs. In fact, I think HBO's making a bold stance here. There was no female nudity. As far as I recall in this episode, only full frontal hang dong. And there were two of them. First one being on kind of like a Dr. Manhattan lookalike. I don't know if that was purposeful or not. <laughs> but as you said, yeah, everyone's taking like a higher version or a different version of the wafers that have been being taken this entire time. Ones that are, you know, I don't know, better drugs. And then the second dong hits is hashtag two dongs too furious. <laughs> and they uh, they take down the very high man because once beast mode slash Marshawn Lynch slash giggles is punched in the face, he's over it and takes that guy to the ground. In the kind of framing device phone call, Cal laments that life is rigged in favor of the rich. That it's, life is a game and it's set up in a way that the rich never lose. A sentiment that was echoed by Francis to Caleb, and we'll learn very soon that this was echoed from Francis to Caleb when Francis was alive. So Dolores and Liam head to America, and they visit Liam's dad's supercomputer, Rehoboam. And he's explaining that, you know, he used to worry that he was competing with the supercomputer with for his father's love. But uh, he realizes now that there was no competition and that the supercomputer was always more beloved. His dad definitely loved Brain Ball way more than his son. We don't know yet what caused his father's death, whether it was natural or unnatural. The Rehoboam kind of looks like a big version of the Pearl Brain's that Dolores is carrying around and they are interrupted once more by Martin who lets Liam know that quote unquote she wants to see you his meeting has been pulled up and so he gets out of there he says Dolores I'll meet you tonight but not so much Dolores completely follows him on a motorcycle that she brings around to her kind of steals through an AI virtual assistant she walks into the building across from Liam's meeting and 
by the from the time that she walks in the building to the time where she sits on the bar on the top of the building, she has already through the AI virtual assistant leased an apartment in said building. Right, which I guess allows her to come and go as she pleases. She gets a spot on the outdoor veranda where she can spy on the conversation that Liam is having, and apparently she can even hear what's being said. Liam is meeting with a member of his father's company, which Liam is also a high up in, and she's saying, someone seems to have been accessing the supercomputer, we're worried there's a compromise on your end, and he shoots back, like, there's nothing wrong with me, you guys should check your own selves, and shouldn't you be worried about the big problem that you're having with Delos and the park? So apparently these two companies are tied together in some way. Ra, insight. I think it's possible that she's from Delos and not insight. I, I honestly, I, it's not incredibly clear where she is from, but it could be either one. This is a woman named Martel. She's played by Palm Clementiev. God, I know we're gonna know where, was never gonna get that right. She also played Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy. While Dolores is listening to this, she gets hit on by a guy and tells him to fuck off. Which is a whole mood. Yeah, this agent of the company also basically threatens to kill him, saying like, oh, well, yeah, it'd be hard to kill you, but the supercomputer could figure out a way to do it, huh? And Liam storms off. Yeah, it's unclear who this woman is working for. I think there are probably only two options, though. Serac, played by Vincent Cassell, who we have not met yet. Or the Man in Black, but it's most likely Serac. We shall find out in the future. Back on the farm... Bernard gets attacked by two other workers who want to turn him in for the bounty. At first, he's kind of helpless, and he's about to get his ass kicked, but then he puts himself into robot mode and easily dispatches his two assailants. He asks very nicely for the robot version of him not to hurt them too badly and to remember who he is, and then he presses the button, and then he straight murders those two fools, so it didn't go exactly how Bernie planned. Liam and Dolores are on a date... When Liam gets a phone call that upsets him, Dolores asks him what's wrong, so he confesses that actually he hates the supercomputer, he has no control over it, and no insight into how it actually works, he's just a powerless figurehead in his father's company. He says only one person has any degree of control over the supercomputer, but before he can give that name to Dolores, she is tasered from behind by Martin, and that seems to knock her out, and Martin reveals, you know, some information to Liam that, like, oh, yeah, she's some kind of corporate spy. Her name's not really Laura Espin. Laura Espin's the name of a dead teenager, and uh, you've been being honeypotted this entire time. You dumb, dumb idiot boy. We learn a few things from this scene. We learn that Liam Sr.'s death was probably unnatural. We learn that... As you said, Liam is a basic silent partner of Rehoboam and the architect slash partner of his father has full control. When it comes to the big, bad, most powerful guy in every situation of this episode, I always go back to, is that William or Sirach? I don't know which one or a third person that I just don't know. And as you said, Martin comes in, tases Dolores and she falls to the ground. But in the scene directly before this, Bernie gets tasered, and he's, like, on the ground, but not unconscious. He seems okay. So I immediately was like, I think she's just faking it. 
waiting for the right time to strike. Martin also says that they traced a encrypted message which she sent from her phone to a location in the city somewhere under a bridge. Liam wants to call the police and have Dolores taken away, but Martin says no, they should murder her and her accomplices. So they take a helicopter out to the location where Dolores had set up a meeting, and they also decide to contact some local thugs to help them. And so they use the crime app and they order some drugs and a old-style 21st century automobile to meet them in the park. And as it turns out, this is the exact job that Caleb takes when he is down on his luck. He goes and picks up the package. He then goes and gets into the non-self-driving car. When he gets there, he sees the helicopter landing, says to the bodyguard that he doesn't do personals, and the guard just tells him kind of to, to leave. And then Caleb doesn't. I don't exactly know why he wouldn't just leave in this moment. I think it's because they wanted this moment in time where Caleb gets a gun pointed at him, gets to say that he's, he is not the first person to point a gun at Caleb's head. And then the bodyguard's like, yeah, but I'll be the first person to put a bullet in your head. And Caleb is like, no, that's not the case. This is an expositional scene to let everyone know that I have been shot in the head before. Right, and that's probably where his implant went. There are two options. Either he still has an implant that works and he turns it off purposely, or he had an implant and it got shot out of his brain. Maybe it's like in those Western movies where you get shot, but there's something in your jacket and the bullet gets caught there. So he got shot in the brain, but it stopped by his implant. Yeah, that's called a Theodore Roosevelt. The, the corporate goons take the car that Caleb brought and the drugs and they drive off with Dolores. And Caleb kind of walks off maybe guiltily, and that's when he takes the call from Francis that we've been hearing throughout the episode. Martin and the goons bring Dolores to an underpass. They put on the song Common People by Pulp, which not only plays well into the whole class war theme that we've had this entire episode, but it's just a great song that I love, actually. Common People is like my go-to karaoke song, because it's easy to sing, and it's not that super popular. Yeah, it's a good song. I dig it. Uh, here's a fun fact about Common People. William Shatner also did a spoken word version of Common People, which is just awful. No, yeah, it's not good. Although the kids would say as the the regular song, Straight Slaps. And it is really good in this scene. It's a good undertone to what eventually happens, which is they keep injecting Dolores with tranquilizer and she keeps not dying because, you know, she's a robot. And then a car shows up to the scene, and that doesn't make any sense. Martin goes over to the empty car, which turns out is a distraction, as Dolores comes back to life in the car that she's within, kills the people in the car, goes in front of the car, and murders the two guards that are standing there. She's learned something from Zombieland, takes a page out of that book, and makes sure to double-tap them. Then she gets back in the car and backs up into a dude and then runs over him again while Martin flees the scene because he realizes he's facing a he what he believes is a person who just murdered an entire posse of guards. Yeah, he th th Martin escapes in the car but he's pursued by Dolores. She chases him to a park and shoots him in the leg. 
she's trying to get the information of the name of the person who can access the supercomputer from him, and he gives up the name Sirak, but he says that she'll never be able to touch him, that with the supercomputer he can predict the movements and actions of everyone on Earth, and she'll never be able to get to Liam ever again anyway now that she's been compromised, and she says, well, that's not a problem, I won't have to talk to Liam, because you'll do it, and then his host steps outside of a passing car and shoots him in the face. This is going to be a season of doppel hosts who we're guessing which ball is in there out of the five that she had. You know, is Teddy in Hale? Is Peter Abernathy in Robo Martin? Is it Angela? Is it Charlie? Is it Ford himself? Is it Dolores made a doppelganger of herself? So many possibilities. It is intentionally unclear. Although Martin did ask her Dolores when he sees that she's been shot or hurt it, she he ad, looks very concerned about her so the general theory is that maybe that's Teddy because he looks down at her abdomen and is truly concerned whether or not she's going to live or die and she's not concerned at all by the way during all of this Caleb is standing on a bridge talking to Francis who we realize is a program, the program that him and the therapist were describing, and then he unsubscribes from said program. He looks like he's going to jump from the bridge. He says that he has to find something real, and Francis is not that. I saw on the internet, actually, people calling this very Black Mirror-y. That was the main criticism of this moment. But, like, isn't every technology-based dark moment going to be referenced towards being Black Mirror-y. Yeah, well, we're reaching a point where Black Mirror has has hit all these different sci-fi concepts that we're going to get like a Simpsons did it kind of meme now where it's like, oh, Black Mirror did it. Yeah, Black Mirror had an entire episode where you build a robot based on the, a dead loved one, right? And, and they can act like that dead loved one, but they're just kind of a poor imitation. Similar to this talk therapy with an AI based on your dead friend that that Cal was doing both very bleak and disturbing things to consider both moments in time where you just have to suspend disbelief and don't compare Westworld to Black Mirror and uh, you know enjoy them for what they both are also to take away from this Caleb unsubscribing from this program means he's not going to get his benefits anymore and will be even further strapped for cash Dolores disposes of Martin's body and the other host departs in the helicopter to go back to Liam. As more private security arrive, Dolores takes them on, but she's shot several times. Cal realizes something is amiss and walks back into the park, where he finds Dolores wounded under a bridge and catches her as she collapses. He said he wanted to find something real, and the joke is on him. I, perhaps the world is playing the joke on him, because he finds Dolores something not ostensibly real as she is walking towards that underpass the place where she was going to meet assumably robo martin before plans changed a motorcycle ko occurs where the motorcycle from earlier smashes into a guy by force of ai assistant through dolores's brain so while mave in the park is kind of an all-righteous god who can move around robots dolores is a mini version of that in the real world which is pretty interesting. And she collapses in the underpass. The same background music as when Dolores met William is playing. And the maze is graffitied behind them on the wall. Which, by the way, the maze is also like the Insight logo 
there's cross-pollination here that we all don't purposely understand currently. Cut to Bernard arriving somewhere in a new town, and he pays a boat captain for passage back to Westworld, where he wants to meet a friend, probably Maeve. Probably Maeve, someone who can watch him, make sure he is not doing anything that is against his own code, and also at the same time, he needs help to be able to take down Dolores, and Maeve is still in the park and has many powers that would be very helpful, very Professor Xy powers. It was also kind of a, a we-have-to-go-back moment, very lost in that way. Also, it confirms where Westworld was. We had a general feeling as to where Westworld was. So Bernie is in the Philippines, and he points to a spot in the South China Sea, says Westworld, and the man who is speaking Mandarin in the Philippines is like, oh, yeah, 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 I got that. I do have, I, I guess the question entered my mind, like, is him going to Westworld, is this all chronological or is this on a different timeline? Jonah and Lisa said that the timelines would not be as messed up this this year. Uh, but to be fair, not as messed up doesn't mean it isn't messed up at all, right? Yeah, well, what are some things that could be happening not concurrently? The only two timelines we've got uh, possibly are Dolores and Bernard. I don't see any reason why they couldn't be happening consecutively or concurrently like that that like bernard could have just woken up days ago or it could be happening months later at the same time as things are happening with dolores he makes a remark when he's being assaulted he's like oh she's had months to prepare but i mean she could have had months to prepare before bringing him back online or he could have meant the months that have passed in the intermediary time who knows? Right. He says he has not spoken to, during the self-diagnostic, Dolores for 90-something days, which is the only way we could understand where we really are. And by the way, I think it is in chronological order. I think they are trying to tell a straightforward story. But also remember the show that we're watching and don't count out the possibility that it's not in chronological order. Yes. And HBO loves to lie to viewers about everything. And so, you know. For all we know, Dolores uh, brought Bernard back years ago, and she's only just now running into Caleb 50 years after that. Which brings us to the end of the show, but they have a post credit scene. Very Marvel of them. They had a post credit scene, what, that was a preview, or that was a, a scene that belonged to episode one? A scene that belonged to episode... Oh my god, did you not watch it? I didn't watch it! <laughs> oh my god, I'm, I'm gonna describe it to you right now. Are okay. you ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Maeve wakes up, and she's in what is going to be eventually called War World, 1944, Italy, that has been taken over by the German-slash-Nazis. She doesn't remember how she got to where she was. She sees that her knuckles are red and bloody, and she was beating a man who she walks up to, and when she walks up to him, he looks at her like she had recently beating him up, and he was very scared. And then she looks outside of a window and realizes that she is in German-occupied Italy and doesn't know how she got there or what she's been doing for whatever amount of time, and that is the post credit scene. Yeah, yeah, what is this, Watchmen? Now we got post credit scenes in Westworld? We sure do. We sure do. So all in all, I thought it was an excellent first episode. I think so far the themes and the locales and the characters being introduced in season three 
much more compelling, I think, than season two. Season two kind of felt a little bit like wheels spinning. It's like, okay, well, we had the park in season one, and then the park fell apart, and then season two is the park continuing to fall apart, uh, and now we finally moved on. Yeah, I also liked the episode. I like that we're going back to the parks next week. I'm glad that the real world is not the only setting that we're going to have. And I think in this season, they fixed the one thing that was desperately needing to be fixed in season two, which was, hey, if you're going to have a main character that you're trying to get us to root for, make them likable at all. And they did as good of a job as they could have making Dolores likable in this first episode. We will see how that goes. But as always with Westworld, I think my favorite part of the show is always the amount of questions that it brings up immediately, the amount of theories that can be created from said questions, and the amount of internet sleuthing that occurs within this show. A conversation we have every year is, are you going to watch Reddit? Are you going to watch the internet to see what the sleuths come up with or not? Are you still not going to watch anything and let it just come to you organically? Yes, I'm not going to watch the next episode previews. I won't dig too deep into theories because I like to try to come up with my own. And I totally called it last week when I said they were going to soften Dolores' character. It was one of her very first lines in the show was, Oh, I've killed so many people. I don't want to kill people anymore. Which, that's a very stark departure from her character. Last season where she was basically saying kill all humans. Not just saying kill all humans, but whatever human she came across, most of the time, she murdered them. But yeah, I'm the exact opposite kind of fan that you are. Mm. I have been doing nothing but today but sleuthing through internet theories that are already coming up, and I'm deep, deep within them, and is a wild ride down in the depths of Westworld Season 3. What is the internet saying? What are we going to see in Season 3 according to these dutiful nerds? The dutiful nerds? Well, this first episode brings up a few questions. By a few, I mean like 10 or 20. The first one is, is Caleb truly Caleb? Is he a replacement? Did he have a host replacement after he got shot in the head? Or did it just affect his implant? His mother's line was that that's not her son. Is that just side effect of Alzheimer's or is Caleb actually some sort of replacement? Who is a robot? Who is not? Are there secret robots? Is everybody a robot? That's possible. Who is inside Hale is another question. Who is inside Robo Martin is the second part of that. We've covered the possibilities there. Those are mysteries that are purposely left up in the air. There was that one little tidbit of what Martin could be because he was compassionate towards Dolores, which is a emotion that seemed singularly Teddy. Other questions such as, you know, what is the man in black doing? What is Stubbs doing? Is Stubbs a host, as it was inferred last season that he perhaps was? Who is Serac exactly? Does he know William? How does Insight mix with Delos? Why doesn't Maeve remember what she was just doing in the post credit scene? Is the entire world a simulation? Is Rehoboam a part of said simulation or, or running it, like that high guy said at the beginning of the episode? Uh, what are the side effects, other than positive, negative of the wafer that everyone is taking? And the final, I think, and most important question, will Anthony Hopkins have a cameo this season? Well, he may in the park. I don't think he would have anything to do 
outside in the human world, but if we're going back to the park, he could make a return there, possibly. I'm looking forward to get back into the park. I'm going to, after right after this, go and watch that after credit scene, which I missed. I'm not anticipating mm-hmm. an after credit scene. I don't sit and watch the credits for anything. If there's an after credit scene that I know about, I will skip to it. It's not like I'm sitting there expecting one and everything. But yeah, I think what we're going to get out of Dolores' timeline, at least, she's going to go from kill all humans to, oh, actually, common people can be good, as I learned that from my love affair with Jesse Pinkman. And so instead of kill all humans, it'll be kill all of the capitalist overlords of human society so we can all live free. I agree with you. Also, by the way, I have to say a bright spot of this pilot, not pilot, although it it felt like a pilot, a a bright spot was that Aaron Paul was great. The The addition of his character is is really good and i'm interested in the person slash uh robot he becomes i don't know there's also this other thing on the internet that has kind of been eating at me all day where everyone's a robot i'm not gonna get into it we can get into it in another episode but there's an everybody is a robot theory that is uh is is numbing my entire brain see i hope everyone's not a robot because at that point what does it matter like what? That's just robots killing robots for no reason. And you know, if if and, and I don't know where you come down on this philosophically, but if the world is just a big simulation, uh, then nothing would matter, man. Like if they came out with the news, it's like, oh yeah, we scientifically proved that this is all a computer simulation, and we're all data. It's like, oh okay, then I'll just go ahead and kill myself because this was all for nothing. <laughs> oh wow, that's. <laughs> This is well, dark. What, you would just keep on going with your life? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably would. I'd be like, hmm. All right, well, moving on. Well, thank you guys all for listening. If you're just listening, that means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on SoundCloud or follow us on Twitter. He's at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James Watches Men. Don't ask about that name. Hilarious. Hashtag gold. If you really want to go the extra mile, hosting audio on SoundCloud is a bit expensive. We have a huge back catalog that you can go through because we pay for unlimited bandwidth. And if you want to help us offset that fee, you could hit us up on Patreon as our other lovely patrons already do. Our patrons are Bacaman, Carol Andreas, Craig, Day 11 Westworld, a new patron, Psyched, John Jurz, Lee, and Major Woody. Thank you for the money. Money is helpful. Thanks, bros. And if you're listening to anything in our back catalog, you ought to thank them, too. Yeah. thank. Make your own podcast just to thank them. We got some Twitter stuff. Oh, my God. Lauren, a very lovely LJ, said, I see we have a lot to discuss. I get that we have to expand character storylines, but I never really like when a character A is off doing this and character B is off doing another thing when we were at the park the storylines were separate but still intersected I think I'll be okay and everything will loop together and everyone comes back together but I can't get a handle on where everyone is right now I feel so disoriented I think that's the right word hmm yeah me too I'm I'm especially like we were talking about during the recap like okay so is Martin is he now Peter Abernathy and is Charlotte Hale is she Clementine Pennyfeather what's like that's that's what I want to (laughs) know Would you say Clementine Pennyfeather has the best name? So far, unless someone comes out with a better name. Okay, well, that's heresy, but fine. Okay. 
Wow. And everyone, please join us here next week when we recap and review Season 3, Episode 2, entitled The Winter Line, directed by Richard J. Lewis and written by Matthew Pitts and Lisa Joy. I'm James. I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. Bye.